0: Hey, are you here? Are you right here? Are you right here, right now? Well, if the answer to any or all of those questions is yes, thank you for tuning in to The Paul Leslie Hour. You know, for 19 years and counting, your host Paul Leslie has been asking all types of people the questions he wants the answers to. Now, this time around, the subject of the show is singer-songwriter Bob Dylan's latest book. You see, on this episode, taped November first, 2022, we were thrilled to welcome Alan Light. Alan's a music journalist, a book author, and radio personality. Alan Light hosts the daily music talk show, Feedback. On Sirius XM. He's the former editor in chief for the magazine Spin and Vibe. He's written many inspired words about musicians and songs. And well, Alan Light's written some great books, too, and co wrote one with Greg Allman and one with Peter Frampton. Whoa! And you can check out Alan Light's recent piece in Esquire magazine. It's called Bob Dylan isn't done lying to us just yet. (laughs) It's a review of Dylan's new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, published by Simon & Schuster. Now, Alan Light has seen Bob Dylan in concert more than a hundred times. He came on here for a book talk with Paul all about The Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan. I wonder what Alan we'll have to say. Hey, you, you ought to know, the Paul Leslie Hour needs your help. We're not above asking. Please, subscribe on YouTube. We're trying to double our number of subscribers, and it's fast and free. And if you want to help us on our mission even more, you may visit thepaulleslie.com support. We rely on viewers and listeners just like you, and no amount is too small or too medium or, well, you know, the rest. Know what I think? I think the right thing to do is to bring out Alan Light. All those who agree, say aye. Ever coffee here? Yes.
1: <clears throat> Ready to run. <laughs> shall we
2: shall we uh, start rolling?
1: Make it, make it so. <laughs>
2: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very honored to have with us Alan Light. Uh, He's a name that is not at all unfamiliar to people who are fans of music. You've seen his name in magazine articles. There's a book uh, co-authored by Greg Allman, My Cross to Bear. It's one of my favorites. And uh, he's a music journalist, the host of the music show Feedback on Sirius XM. We're here to talk about the new book from Bob Dylan, The Philosophy of Modern Song. And folks, I just wanted to tell you all, uh, Alan Light has written a piece, which you can check out. It is called Bob Dylan Isn't Done Lying to Us Just Yet, which you can check out. So Alan Light, it's a great honor to have you with us.
1: Sure. thanks Thanks for having me on. Any excuse, <laughs> any any excuse to talk about Bob Dylan, huh? Oh, I'll take what I, I'll take, I'll still take what I get. So,
2: <laughs> so just to get a little bit of of your personal uh, interaction with Bob Dylan as a fan, can you tell us your early exposure to Bob Dylan?
1: Sure. Um, it's uh, I, I was actually thinking about it before jumping on today, and I. I I don't have that, you know, what was the first time or what was the, why, how, when, when did you find him out there? But I started listening to, uh, to Dylan's records when I was very young. I, I guess that first of all, he was just still such a, you know, such a presence in the culture growing up in the seventies that it, it, uh, didn't take a lot to encounter him one way or another. Um, I had, uh, you know, I had found my mom's, Beatles records and was listening uh, you know m- maniacally to those. Um and uh it, I, I guess that it doesn't take long to get from there over to uh thinking about Bob Dylan. And, you know, I, I don't know what age, but by eight or nine or so was uh you know, was starting to listen and beginning what was really uh, you know, a lifetime we could call it obsession if we so chose. Um I'm, uh, you know, a hundred and some Dylan shows under my belt at this point. Um, I think I was 12 or so the first time that I saw him on the, what, uh, you know, I became identified as the, you know, the Budokan tour, the big band tour in 78 um, was the first, uh, first time that I saw him and um, have spent an inordinate amount of time listening and writing and thinking about uh, about this guy and his music and his writing in, in the years since then.
2: I'm very curious to know, somebody who has written as much about singers, songwriters, artists, records, was there any preconceived notion that you had about this book, the philosophy of modern song, before it came out?
1: well uh, you you have preconceived notions with anything that 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 Dylan does at your own risk, so uh that's a you know it's a dangerous game but um you know obviously the title is the uh you know sets up a certain sort of expectation um whether you know that it's gonna be some sort of a head fake or whether you know that he's doing it's something it's one of the many things that he's doing just to just to mess with you or whether there was something that was coming that was uh, that would be focused in some way on songwriting and song construction. Um, And of course, in the grand Bob Dylan tradition, it is all of those things. It is clearly intended to mess with you. It is clearly sort of a head fake. And yet it is also, um, you know, sometimes brings you around to, uh, to ideas and, and insight um, about songwriting, um, sometimes in ways that you don't expect. So the, uh, you know, as usual, the expectation doesn't exactly align with uh, with what it was, what it is that, that the reality turned out to be. And yet in some ways it does.
2: Something that uh, from reading the Esquire piece immediately struck me, we both felt that there was a real similarity in tone to these great radio shows. I don't know if you liked the Theme Time Radio Hour. Did you yeah, enjoy I, those? I
1: I love the Theme Time Radio Hour series, um and think that there's uh there's an awful lot. You know, I've said Dylan wrote his his memoir, he wrote Chronicles, um, and it's a magnificent piece of writing. Um, but in some ways, the truer autobiography of Bob Dylan is contained in the theme time radio hour episodes. I think that as he takes us through um, this, you know, very personal um, construction of the history of American song, um, that that gives a uh a greater sense of who this guy is and where he comes from and what he is drawing from and what's been important to him, um, in ways that are, you know, not to minimize what, what Chronicles was, but in, in, in ways that, that ultimately I think may be even sort of richer and deeper than what the book was. Um, I think that the, uh, the theme time radio hour stuff is just extraordinary. It actually got me. I, I spent the early uh i will say i spent the early days of the of the pandemic um you know re-listening to the the uh i don't know if i got through the full hundred episodes i might have um but those some i went back to and certainly a lot of you know the the jumping off point for what this new book is um you know whether whether literally or not has its its origins and its genesis and what the the theme time approach was.
2: And it did seem very much like the, the writing, like, you know, I haven't listened to the audio version of the book yet, but as I was reading it, because like yourself, I'm pretty familiar with the radio show, right? I couldn't help, but imagine Bob reading these things into a mic.
1: Yeah. You hear, you hear (laughs) those, those rhythms, you hear that delivery, um, a lot of it is written in as a lot of the you know theme time scripts were written in this kind of said this sort of mid-century hard-boiled you know film noir jive thing that that Bob has embraced. Um and yeah, the I mean I haven't listened to the audiobook either, but it's not it's not Bob Reading, it's a a, a, a group of actors. Ah. who are are reading I I forget the list but um it's a funny list of different contributors um who are reading these these chapters so um yeah there's a very distinctive and I and I think a very distinctive sort of 21st century Bob Dylan voice that grew out of once he sort of you know grew out the mustache and went into the sort of riverboat gambler outfits and around the time of, you know, love and theft, I think, particularly around there, when he started to sort of embrace this, um, you know, old school card shark sort of persona, um, that more and more of that voice and, and that language started to come out somewhat in the songwriting, but certainly in a lot of the other stuff that he's been doing.
2: And after you started talking about it, I do remember the that the audio book did have the actor's, Jeff Bridges, I think John
1: Goodman was in there. Jeffrey Wright. Uh, right. uh I forget who all else, but a an and esteemed list of contributors, to be sure. Yeah. But it will be, but to hear them delivering this uh, you know, sort of 50s hipster gangster thing will be uh, you know, another yet another interesting adventure.
2: Right. Right. Something that occurred to me, uh, and it it led me down this path of counting.
1: <laughs> I did a lot of counting with the book too. So yeah, you, you did. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, one thing that I did notice that was kind of interesting. This is uh, maybe a side note. For the most part, none of these songs, like you, you know, there have been a number of songs that uh, written by other people that Dylan will slip into a show from time to time for the most part for the books that the, the songs l- discussed in the book they aren't songs that Dylan there's no bootleg of of him doing any of these songs for the most part um but i uh I- i'm curious were you at all puzzled by some of the choices
1: well sure i mean i think that that's part of um i think part of you know his <laughs> amusement here um you know, I mean, there's a there's a few things that immediately jump out, right? I mean, the first is that there's nothing here in the selections of songs that he writes about from any of his, you know, any of his, his peers, um, right. such as they are. There's no Neil Young, Paul Simon, Beatles, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen. I mean, any of the people that you sort of put on a list as the contemporaries and, uh, you know, those at, at that sort of altitude, he doesn't touch any of that within this book um there's you know as as i think what you're pointing out that's interesting is even the older bluegrass or old gospel songs or whatever that appear here they're not the ones that he has chosen to perform um over the years right. on his own um and then you know of course the, the where i sort of start my my esquire piece and a lot of people have picked up on you know there's no, the philosophy, the title is The Philosophy of Modern Song. Philosophy implies that there's going to be some sort of overarching theme that's laid out here. There isn't even, you know, an, a, a, any sort of introduction explaining wh- why these songs. You just dive in and you're going, but there's nothing that sort of presents, here's what this these selections are supposed to mean, or why I settled on these, or, you know, there's nothing that presents you know that sort of overview on what these songs are <clears throat> you know and and modern um is a very uh is a very relative term here there's uh you know there's three there's three recordings on here from the from this century right um one of them you know probably intentionally is actually the oldest composition that's included here the stephen foster song you know that's that uh What's included is a 2004 recording from uh blues singer, Alvin, Alvin Youngblood Heart. um, Warren Zevon song and, a, and a song by the native American, uh, songwriter and activist John Trudell are the only other things post 2000 that are on here. So, you know, philosophy in quotes and modern song in quotes, and all of a sudden, you know, you, what, what is it that we actually have? What is it that we're actually dealing with here? Um, so yeah, I mean so much of the fascination just is why th- why are these the song? Why did he make <laughs> these choices? What is this? And sometimes in some of them he'll articulate sort of what it is that's actually you know particularly particularly special about this song or and but in other cases, like not at all and it's an essay that he writes about you know, something, some sort of tangential issue, something that's brought up by this song, something that it makes you feel. Um and so what it is that this sort of kaleidoscopic uh overview of of, of uh twentieth century music adds up to it really is left to you to to sort of figure out.
2: Hmm. Very interesting stuff. He uh he's fond of throwing the curveball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a knuckleball. A lot of the, in in some yeah. of these cases, where you start off and you do not know where it is that you're going. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really fascinating that most of these essays, um, are written in the second person, right. Most of them are addressed to you, but sometimes that you is the sing, you know, is expressing the singer you want to put this particular emotion across sometimes the you is the listener um sometimes the you is the char- is the character within the song um but it sets up this sort of very interesting different intimacy in how you're reading these things um and those are you know and those are are contrasted with more straight essays that are either more you know sort of conventionally historical you know stories of these songs or some other part of history that you know in some way relates to what the song is or what the song is writing about um some of which are hilarious some of which are um you know are are you talk about curveballs like things that you have you don't know why it is that he's writing and then it you know, brings it around to something that ties it into the song or the songwriter or the, the, you know, that history, um, which he did a lot of on the the theme time shows as well, where sometimes the songs were the excuses, you know, clearly the song was chosen as the excuse to kind of tell this story that has something to do with the song. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, clearly a lot of different reasons and motivations for how this all came together.
2: Something that occurred to me, if you look at all of the songs, studio songs, if you don't include the bootleg stuff, just the studio releases, over the last 15 years, Bob Dylan went from recording nothing pretty much but his own material, and then over the last 15 years, he has recorded twice as many songs written by someone else, the the three American songbook records, the Christmas record. Do you suppose that he has, I mean, it's a real departure to go from recording nothing but your own material. Do you suppose he has increased his interest in other people's material?
1: Um, I don't know if his interest has increased or his, you know, what it is that he's trying to uh, explore has has changed um i mean i wrote i've written this is sort of a thing that i've written a lot when i've written about dylan and i bring it up again in this review of the book is i think there's a way to look at dylan's whole career as this attempt to explore um you know the 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 breadth and the history of american music in all of its different manifestations And if you think early on about the way that he just absorbed and cycled through folk music, blues, rock and roll, country music, you know, all of the things that sort of the 60s Dylan did that we think about. Um, If you accept that all of those were, you know, him diving into and attempting to to comprehend all these different sort of, you know, rivers of, of American musical history then, you know, eventually it leads you into some of the less predictable ones. If 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 that is the greater project here, then inevitably he was going to have to sort of confront gospel. I mean, it's a, a foundational American, you know, foundational piece of American music. So through that lens, it's kind of not as shocking that he went through, you know, that, that if that was really at least in some ways initiated by attempting to comprehend and, and you know, uh, l- allow himself to sort of live out the what gospel music was about. Okay, that was the period. Things like then, uh, so the Christmas album, as totally baffling as that was, okay, Christmas music is uh, a, a huge piece of American musical, the American musical tradition. Um, so, inev- you know, again, inevitably, is there a point where he would say, okay, let me find out what, what that's all about, let me at least go, you know, go for for one project where I you know delve into that and see what you know where what what that means to me. um the the American songbook, you know, the Sinatra records, um something that he kind of bounced off of a lot over the years, but you know, then that. um so I think that that's you know, there's a way to sort of overlay that as the grand project for him that makes uh, some of these otherwise mysterious choices make a certain kind of sense. Um, and I think with, you know, with others, particularly, I think with the, the, the triplicate project, the, the, the Sinatra records, um, I think, you know, a lot of the things that, that do come up within this book about songwriting and about how, you know, how do standards, why do standards become standards, And about how do you continue to evolve and perform as you get older? Um, I think, you know, certainly he thought a lot about Sinatra and about some of those, those singers, Um, you know, in, in that way. And just thinking sort of experientially about what it was going to mean as he went into his seventies and kept singing and, you know, his own voice continued to change and his own relationship to material continued to change, um, that those were, if not models, at least, you know, uh, examples to try to, uh, you know, see what he could see, what he could take from that. Um, you know, people talked about the young Dylan in the village when he first arrived, you know, as a, as a sponge, who was hmm. just taking in everything taking in everything and then sort of and you know and in some ways i think you know that's that hasn't ever really stopped for him that as long as there are these other musical avenues these other things that he hasn't fully you know dived into um at some point he's going to make his way around to that and uh you know and and again a lot of that if not all of that is somewhere within these you know within the covers of of uh, of this book um without ever sort of literally spelling that out just thinking about what is the range and again we've we've if you've listened to the theme time series sequence you've you've thought about this stuff but what is this incredible you know people say the guy just knows more songs than anybody else does <laughs> um and that you know that remains evident uh, as he uh you know as he takes on these different kinds of, uh, of, of enterprises.
2: So you were saying that you have seen Bob Dylan in concert some hundred times or so.
1: So, yeah, I don't know. You, you stop, I guess <laughs> some don't stop keeping count at a certain point. I stopped keeping count, but yes, have you ever met him? I met him once very briefly backstage, um, at a show, um, to, you know, for a, for a minute um with nothing you know particularly ins- insightful or interesting to report um other than it was in very it was the uh it, it was the opening night of the tour that he did he he co headlined with Paul Simon um 2000 2001 um no it must have been 2000 because it's before I I got married because he gave he had these Bob Dylan fan club, uh, deputy marshal badges that he had printed up. And he gave me one of those, which I, which I had in my pocket when I got married. So it would have been 99 or 2000. Um, I think the most interesting thing was just me going into the, the dressing room and he was in there with his band. And I know some of the band guys a little bit, but to actually see like big legal pads with song titles written on them, um you know, where clearly they were still sitting down and putting a a set list together just the just the visual of that I think was more interesting than uh anything in you know uh sort of exchanging pleasantries um uh, that we had to say um but uh but yeah, that's the that's the only time that I actually uh actually met him beyond uh beyond looking at a stage.
2: Well, I'm I'm glad I asked that not only to learn about the the deputy badge in your <laughs> yes. pocket. That, that's, that's cool, but also what an image the, the the pads with the song titles. I can see it yeah, in my I, mind.
1: It, it's uh, you know it's sort of like what you would think in your mind was happening, but then you see it, and you're like, well, I guess that's actually. They sit down and write, look at the lists, and you know, figure out a thing. I guess you know this was still when the sets were changing night to night. Now things are pretty locked in through its door, where things, uh, you know, don't still, don't still change that much from show to show. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll only make myself sound slightly less crazy by saying, you know, if you, if you start from that, I saw him in 1978 for the first time, you know, we are talking about, you know, coming up on 50 years of, going to these shows so that you know the hundred plus if you spread it out over that much time there were years that were more and years that were less but it's not quite so it doesn't sound quite so insane if you say that it averages out to you know a couple of times a year over the course of that many years uh, that's maybe makes me feel a little less scared about my own state of mind <laughs>
2: So, so, is there anything on the horizon with Alan Light? Anything coming up down the the pike?
1: Um, you know, I've I've had a couple of recent things, you know, out in the world. I think that, um, you know, I a number of years back, um, I wrote a book about the song Hallelujah. I wrote a book called The Holy or the Broken, which was adapted into a documentary called Hallelujah. Uh, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, that came out this summer and has taken up uh, you know a good amount of time to get that up and out in the world. That was in theaters through the summer. Um, right now, it's available on demand on your TV screen. It will go to full streaming a little bit later. We're entering kind of a lot of the award season hustle. So um, that's Uh, in addition to, as you mentioned, the radio show every day, um, that's sort of occupied a a certain amount of time. I'm, uh, in lots of discussions, uh, and exploration around next film project, book project. Um, I'm sort of in the, in the, uh, taking meetings stage of all of that. Uh, but there's always, there's always stuff going on. There's always (laughs) more work to be done, uh, and uh, you know, and 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 inevitably, you know, some more some more Dylan stuff that will present itself, uh, you know, soon enough.
2: Excellent. Well, in closing, I have a somewhat philosophical question. I guess <laughs> the philosophy of yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, every time I do any kind of Dylan-related episode, I always get uh, emails from Dylan fans, and it's interesting. First of all, they're all over the place, uh, for sure. And some of them are really, really passionate. Some of them get mad about something. Some of them are ecstatic about something. It, it runs the gamut. But I guess what I would like to say is, or ask is, what would you say to anybody who's a Dylan fan out there, just totally open-ended, who has decided to tune in and join us today?
1: Uh I would what would I say to them? Um I mean, look, I think that when you're a fan of an artist like like Dylan and some of the art other artists that I've been super obsessive about, um, you know, I, I mean, print I did a lot of work with Prince. I wrote a book about Prince. Um, I uh, you know, I saw I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, you know, somebody like Neil Young. These are artists that you are on for the ride right? There's, they've, all of them have done amazing earth shattering work. They've also done just, you know, terrible half fast work um, on the way to something else. And so being a fan of these kinds of, you know, those kinds of artists means, you know, sort of entering into a certain sort of a contract with them. And if you're a Dylan fan, you're, you know, you're staying on, You've, you've decided that you're staying on for the ride um, and you know that not every night is going to be a great show and you know that not every record is going to be a great record. And with this book, um, there are things that are, I think, you know, there are things that are hilarious in this book. There are things that are infuriating in this book. Um, I find the sort of relentless apocalyptic tone, you know, gets a little bit tiresome after a while. I think this book maybe like the theme time episodes are better consumed, you know, in smaller chunks rather than sitting down and reading it because, you know, every, every song is, you know, and, and the great part of this is the passion, the intensity, the way that he feels about, he said that these songs are his religion, you know, that this is what he believes in. And that's the power of what an artist like Dylan is, but the fire and brimstone of every entry in this book and everything is, you know, you know, nearing the end, the walls are crashing in, the 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 seamy underside is coming out and trying to rip you off and has a gun to your head. And you know, that's what these songs are, you know, even even seemingly innocuous songs are kind of dragged into this like street fight. And after a while, you know, like it's enough. (laughs) It's a little, you know, that feels a little one note sometimes to me. Like you know as funny as as much as some of those are played for laughs as funny as some of them are you know interestingly he makes the point in the book about how johnny cash kind of got labeled as you know the prince of darkness guy and the you know that the the people look to him for the you know the the uh the intense and difficult things and this was a guy who also did funny songs and road songs and, you know, lots of lighter things and that there was so much range in the career of this guy. Why do we just think about that one aspect of him? And that's kind of what I feel about this book a little bit is, you know, if you're going to write about the range of modern song, whatever that means, there's a lot of different emotions that are expressed. There are a lot of different things to feel besides this kind of relentless brutality that comes through in these pages. So whatever, all of that is a way to say, I don't expect consistency. I don't expect, um, you know, predictability. I don't, I don't go in with any sense of, you know, here's what I think I'm going to get from Dylan. And I think for fans, you know, uh, the giving him that latitude is what, you know, is what's given us the, 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 the peaks is what's given us the rewards. Um, and you know, I Again, I feel like fans aren't the ones that I need to say check your expectations because that's what it is to be a Dylan fan. The harder thing is what do you say to the casual fans? What do you say, you know, to a college kid who just discovered Dylan and who asks, "Well, should I go? Should I go to a show? It's expensive and it's hard to get tickets." And it's that is a complicated answer, right? Because mm. you should, you know, you should go because it might be transcendent. You might get an amazing performance. You're not going to hear him sing any of the songs that you want to hear him sing. You might get a a kind of a train wreck. And that's the incredible thing about him is you're going to get what he brings on that night. But also, I don't want to set up a 20-year-old kid who's interested in this guy to go and say, you know, that show was terrible and that isn't what I wanted to hear him do and, and and I'm done with that guy. So how to calibrate the you know again the expectations and the uh you know the the right way for for newer fans younger fans more casual fans those those instructions are harder than what you say to the the hardcore the hardcore know what it is that they're they're in for and to them other than just you know let the guy breathe and do his work um you know that's that they're they they know what's you know, they know how this goes. Um, the other ones, um, I, you know, you want to, you want to allow to really understand what the contributions are, what the amazing work was and continues to be, you know, without kind of setting them up to fail. Um, so that's a long way around not answering that question.
2: <laughs> but it was good. It was good. It's, expect the unexpected, whatever, whatever, Whatever Dylan puts out or whatever show it is, just go in and it, experience it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all part of again. It's that's that's what we love, right? That it's not scripted, that it's not um, you know that it's the uh, you're not getting the same show night to night. You're not getting the same you know statements uh, one after another. Um, these are the things that we love about him. Obviously, there's there's an inherent risk with that, and either you're you know again either you're either you're on for that. Um, or you're, uh, you know, or or there's, there's something different that you're looking for.
2: Well, Alan Light, great to start this first day of November talking to you.
1: You're very generous Pleasure. to come on happy so to, early. Happy to be of service. Happy for, again, happy for any excuse. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Paul.
0: Until next time. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer, intro song by John Primerano. And, of course, this is your announcer speaking. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour.